0: Um, so our plan is to meet on February the 12th, uh, February the 19th, and then pro- likely a fifth class or maybe more, All right, And so we're, we're not trying to limit this or to cram too much information into a short amount of, of time. And so if there's questions and discussions and study that we need to continue on beyond a fifth class, obviously we'll, we'll keep doing that. Um, just a reminder of what our goal for the study, what we're trying to accomplish, is that you know we're going to study the Bible for guidance regarding the local church and its finances. We're going to pattern our actions in keeping with biblical guidance. Our goal is to maintain or preserve the unity of spirit and the bond of peace. We want to learn how to act in a God-honoring way if and when we do not agree. And what we talked a little bit about last week, Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so what we want to demonstrate in all aspects of our life is that Christ is living in us. When we agree and when we disagree, um, we just want to exhibit, exhibit Christ. And that's really what we spent a lot of our time Uh, talking about last week was about our attitude. So our attitude towards each other and God's Word. Today we're going to talk about authority, the authority of God, authority of Jesus, authority of Scripture, and how that should influence and inform our behaviors and our attitudes. Uh, We are going to move on to assessing uh, the God's Word. So reading and understanding the Word, all of the relevant passages Um, that that we can find to our topic of finance, we want to start digging into those and understanding them and applying those um, appropriately, letting God's word uh, direct our steps. Um, Then there's going to be some specific questions uh, that were asked uh, either in the feedback form that that we had sent out or just in in conversation. And again, we may not get to 100% of all the questions. Um, I would say that... um, Some of them are are more aligned with our focus. Some of them were just a little bit um, tangential or uh, just that that can be addressed uh, maybe not in the context of a a large study. Like this. So last last time we got together, uh, we talked about attitudes. Attitudes that promote unity and love and harmony and peace. And so when we... Study God's word. The first thing we need to do is we need to check our own heart and our own attitude about what it is that we want to accomplish. That we want to know what God says. But when we're talking with one another, we want to make sure that we're again, we're showing Christ living in us. And we t- we went through a lot in Ephesians. Um, in the Ephesians four one talks about us walk, walking worthy of the calling. And how do we do that? Well, we do that in verse two and three by having an attitude a heart of complete humility and gentleness, being patient, bearing with one another, one another in love, eager to maintain the unity and the bond of peace. And what we saw is that further down in Ephesians, that when we, as individuals, when we come with that attitude and that heart, that promotes the growth of the body here at Avon. And when we don't come with those attitudes, it undermines our ability as a, family here to grow and to reach the full maturity in Christ that God would have us to reach. And so it's, it's of primary importance that when we approach God's word, when we come together, that these are the attitudes that we display, that these are in our hearts. And later on in Ephesians, we talked about attitudes that destroy and tear down and undermine that unity that we're supposed to have. Corrupting and unwholesome talk Anger, slander, malice, clamor, I forgot bitterness. Bitterness in here, right? And just some side conversations that I had with people after the class, it's, um, it's, it seemed like that, that Ephesians 4 resonated with a lot of us. That we looked at those passages and we saw the impact that it has when we don't exhibit those. And what, the, what Paul says is that we grieve the Holy Spirit and we looked back at Isaiah, what what that means and the seriousness of it. But if we see those um, those uh, those things that destroy and tear down, if we recognize that they are in our heart, we also saw the antidote is that we show kindness and we show compassion. We we bear one another's burdens and we we are we forgive. And and how is it that if someone's been so ugly to us or treated us so unfairly, how is it that we can show love and patience and kindness. Well, Jesus is the standard. And we just reflect upon how ugly and unkind and rebellious and hateful that we have been toward Jesus. And he still showed us love. And so we love like Christ loved us. We forgive like Christ forgave us. And so... As we get into our study, and particularly as at times emotions can run high, we we check our heart that we are seeking unity, love, peace, and harmony. And even if someone might be ugly towards us, we are going to be quick to forgive. As Brad Pettis said, we're not going to be offendable. We're going to be above that. And we're going to be seeking for uh, the the benefit and the good of each other. Um, One other thing by way of... Uh, review c- clarifications from last week. So, so I talked to someone, a uh, couple people, one one person uh, talked to me, another person had talked to a, a, a couple of others about m- maybe misunderstanding what I was saying about us not talking with one another. Um, I did not mean that if we have a disagreement or we have issue with someone that we should not talk to one another. I don't think that's a biblical concept, right? I think by not talking to another, we are encouraging those uh, hearts and attitudes that are destructive of, um, you know, letting bitterness perhaps take root, having anger towards one another that could have an outburst of, of anger, slander, those types of things. What I was trying to convey was, so we, we do need to talk to one another, but we do need to, again, make sure that we're just checking our hearts. That our speech is in our, the words we use, the tone we use is coming from a place of, of love, of compassion, humility, gentleness, forbearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity and the bond of peace. Like, that's how we do that. Um when we talk to each other, we need to be speaking the truth in love and it needs to be for the building up. So absolutely, we should talk to one another. We just got to make sure that this is, these are the parameters in which we we express ourselves, right? Secondly, I would say that, a question about regarding speaking to our spouses, what that, when I talked about that was in the context of slander. And that my thought was that if we are going to slander someone, we're probably going to do that with the people we are most comfortable and close to or maybe someone who doesn't know the other person that we're slandering, right? So what I was saying is, is that slander, there's no room for slander even to our spouses. So we talk to our spouses, but we should never slander anyone, ever. Like there's just, There is zero room for slander even to our spouses. Um, and we, when we do so, When we do slander, when we talk evil or poorly, not only are we just uh, our our hearts are poisoned, but we are poisoning the heart of the recipient or the mind of the recipient as well. So we need to be we need to be thoughtful about how we communicate uh, about others, particularly maybe when feelings are hurt. But when I you know obviously we we speak to our spouses, but we really should never slander. I hope that that clears that up. um, Or if there's any questions on that. I would also say that I um, appreciate the one who came uh, to me and said, uh, Hey, I, I, I think I'm, I heard this and just wanted a clarification. Um, I think that's a really good way to do a, a good, good way to do that. Uh, helps me as a teacher kind of understand maybe some of the words that I'm saying and how they're being received. Um, I think that's a good biblical pattern for us to just, just go directly to the teacher. And I, and I want you to feel uh, open to do that and comfortable to do that also want you to feel comfortable just to raise your hand and say um, you know I, I, what you're saying doesn't seem to be aligned with scriptures or, or something um, to that degree and, and we, can, we can correct that as well right and we have a conversation about that so hopefully that helps um, any questions on that or any questions just in terms or comments on uh, the review okay Alright, I've asked Phil Arden to lead us in a prayer. Uh, yeah, he'll bring you the God Father,
1: we are thankful for the time we have to be together, brothers and sisters. So we do father, we are amazed that you've given us your
0: All right, so um, we're talking about authority, and generally speaking, what are what are your attitudes or your thoughts about authority? How do you feel about that? Are we for it or are we against it, Tony? And then. Yeah. And, and some of the things you're going to talk to, we are going to, uh, we're going to address some of that may be uh, at a high level today, but some of that might come later on. Caitlin, I think you had, but g- uh, just generally speaking, maybe not even biblical related, how, what are our attitudes towards authority in general? Or what are the factors perhaps that influence or affect how we feel about authority? Any thoughts on that, Lisa? A well, lack of
1: authority tends to lead to chaos.
0: Yep. So we see that there we there's an, a need for authority. We recognize that. We're gonna get into that here in just a second as well. Tyler?
1: Um. Right. So I don't know, some I guess some uh, legitimate authority in my but if there's some
0: feeling I have, why should that person be telling me that they have no authority over me? Right. I not the right attitude, but well, you know, but I think that's something we can all resonate with that there are there is something about who is in charge where we make a judgment in terms of their legitimacy and that affects our attitude Maybe our willingness to submit to that authority or not. Yes, Ann? Um, people have different uh, feelings
1: about authority based on their experiences with authority. Mm-hmm. Most of us who might have grown up in peaceful situations have and have had fairly positive experiences with authority figures are reasonably comfortable with it, except for like some of the talking about. But some people their whole lives have had very Mm
0: Yeah, 100%. So, the legitimacy, or let me just say that the qualifications of the person who has authority can impact it. Um, On the other hand, um, the character or the righteousness or the justice of the authority figure can impact how we view authority as well. Um, You know I've had bosses in the past that I recognized their authority because they're in the place of that but I also knew that uh, in my opinion that they weren't uh, very moral or fair uh, or righteous individuals and so I struggled with that right. Um, I've also been in situations where it's like, well, that, that person who has authority over me, um, I don't, you know, I don't think they're really qualified to, to be in that role and to be the one who's telling me what to do. And so I might, you know, have some, some thoughts or, or it might influence my behavior in terms of, of how I act towards that authority. Um... You know, and so that's one of the things I wanted us to talk about uh, tonight, or this afternoon, as we consider authority, is the authority of God, of Jesus, in Scripture, and the Holy Spirit's role in that. And it's to think about the qualifications of God as the authority, and His character. The qualifications of Jesus and His character. And there's this, you know, I'm afraid going into this, we're like, ah... Yeah, we get it. God's in control. And we should we should serve him. But I think it's important outside of a fi- finance study, it's important anytime that we think about God's word, anytime we make a decision that we're considering the authority by which we are acting. And I think the more diligent that I know I am in considering the authority that God and Jesus and the scripture play in my life. And if I'm aligned with that, man, I'm doing so much better. But in a group this size, I know we have all these different life experiences, as Ann has indicated, with authority. And so it stands to reason then there might be some challenges or some times in our life where we recognize maybe the authority of God has not been primary in my life. And we see that in... Um, we see that in the very beginning with Genesis. Genesis 1, Eve and the, the serpent, right? So we think about how quickly in Scripture, that's Genesis 3, not Genesis 1. I was putting these slides together in a, in a hurry this afternoon, so I apologize for that. Genesis 3, the Eve and the serpent, we can see how quickly the serpent undermines the authority of God. And when we think about the qualifications of God as the authority and the character, can you think about how the tactic that the serpent used to undermine God's authority?
2: Well, he said that God is an interest in heart. He said, God knows that the day you eat of it, you will be like God. Question His word, you shall not die. God said, You shall surely die. He said, You will not die. And then He states, God doesn't have your best interest in heart. And and a lot of temptation takes place the same way. It it questions the word of God. It questions whether what God said is really keeping us back from excitement, from enjoyment of life. Mm -hmm. So it's the same.
0: Yeah, Boyd, were you going to... Okay, so he's good. So we see Satan undermining God's authority by putting questions into Eve's mind. Does God have my best interest in mind? The character of God is being attacked by Satan, and Satan is successful in this. I would also say that Satan puts out there that when you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. You will know good and evil. And so the authority or the qualifications of God are called into question as well. You're going to be just like God. You don't need him to rule. You can rule. You will know good and evil as well. And so when we think about authority and we think about God, when we start to question his qualifications or his character, problems arise. Can you think of other examples in the Bible where we might be able to go to, where we see Satan being successful in undermining the authority of God with his people. Brad? Absolutely. Greg?
2: We see that also in Second Corinthians, the people were questioning whether Paul's apostleship was legitimate or not. Absolutely. And therefore, what he's
3: saying is not authoritative. Um, they were they were undermining God's representative.
0: Absolutely. I've got a few. This isn't exhaustive, but what I would say also is when we think about this, doesn't all sin really come down to an authority issue? That where God should be in control, we have put something else in control. Something, someone or something else, maybe ourselves, we're calling the shots and we're not letting God call the shots. Here are just a few. Um, so, you know, early on again, I've got that mist, that typo, Genesis 1. So Genesis 3, even the serpent, serpent. Genesis 4, Cain and Abel. I mean, Cain... You know, God tells him that sin is crouching out the door, right? And, and, and Kayla, uh, Cain uh, gives into it. Um, Leviticus 10 with Nadab and Abihu. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. Where just the disregard for the seriousness for which they should take the commandments of God. Number 16, core is rebellion. This is similar to what Craig was talking about. Where God's representative calling, you know, undermining, undermining Moses and as, as God's representative. In Numbers 20, uh, Moses himself, Moses in the rock, where he struck the rock instead of spoke to it. And he was, um, he was reprimanded by God for, for not uh, treating him as holy. In, in 2 Samuel 6, we see Uzzah um, and the movement of the cart and him putting his hand on it to study it. In Second Chronicles twenty six, King Isaiah. It's interesting in King with the example of King Isaiah is that the Scripture talks about how he um, sought the Lord and he had great success. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. And so we see where sometimes success. Um, breeds within us uh, or, or has its result in our life where we remove God from that authority figure in our life and we, we put success up there. Or with core we put power. Or with Samuel in 1 Samuel 13, excuse me, with Saul in 1 Samuel 13, the need of the moment became what caused Samuel, uh, excuse me, Saul uh, to offer the sacrifice without waiting for Samuel. Um, there's all sorts of situations and relationships and pressures and fears and anxieties or successes or ambition, right? That can easily just slide into that top slot in, in, a, in the hierarchy of our life and be the one who is calling the shots, right? And, and a lot, you know, several, a lot of these people were... People were God's people, people who were trying to, to serve God. Nadab and Abihu were part of the group that ate with God. Moses, obviously we know Moses, uh, Moses's resume as it relates to serving God. He was trying to be faithful and serve God, and how quickly the authority in his life was, of God was replaced. King Isaiah, we just talked about, and he was Righteous, He was trying to do what was right. He was, God was giving him great success. And that success bred the result of him replacing God as authority. The reason why I wanted us to spend a few minutes talking about this is, well, let me ask you, why, why do we want to, let me ask you, why do we, why is it important for us to consider this topic of authority, but also all of these examples of failure?
1: Bob? <laughs> well, at first thought,
0: going to use that analogy here in just a, a few minutes about the job. Brad? Yeah, we don't want to make the same mistakes. We don't want to repeat history and fall in the same traps. Uh, you know, that's one benefit of reading through those stories and hearing where people fail. Right. I, I, you know, I want to impress upon us the seriousness of which it is to make sure that we're keeping God as top, as the authority in our life. Particularly as we also get into Bible study. And this isn't, again, this isn't something that's just for this finance class. This is a mentality that we need to approach all Bible study with. And we need to approach, um, you know, our, our day, our, our life. You know, every thought, every action, every word under the authority at which we, um, we see God playing in our life. I want us to take a few minutes to talk about, though... We talked about the qualifications and the character, and just by way of reminder, I want us to think about God and Jesus, and first, in terms of both their qualifications and the character that we see in Scripture. Um, and I know some of this is this is going to be reminder. This is these these are things we we know we've we've heard all of our lives or all of the the time that we've grown up in the Word. These are the things that are kind of foundational. Again, I think it's something though that. We need to keep beating the drum on, on these, these things. So first of all, relative to God's authority, um, some of this I do apologize, I'm going to have to go through pretty fast, right? We've got a lot to cover and a lot of scriptures. Um, if we do need to slow down on something, please raise your hand and let me know. But we see from Genesis 1.1 1, 1 and other passages that God is the creator. And so we talk about the qualifications we know that anything that, that we have at our house that we make, that we are in full control of. That we can do whatever we want with that. Um, if I make a chair and I decide to, to use it or I decide to give it away or I decide to use it for a different purpose, that is my right because I am the creator of that. God is our creator and inherent in that is that we submit to the will of the creator. Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6, built familiar passage to us. About that God is the potter and we are the clay. And he is molding us and shaping us into the people uh, that he wants us to be. Isaiah 40 talks about God's qualifications and his character. And, you know, Isaiah 40 is one of my favorite chapters uh, because you can't help but read that and just be awestruck by who God is and, uh, and what he is accomplishment, accomplishing. From a qualification standpoint, so why does God have authority? Uh, why should we give him authority? In verse 10, he, the Lord God, he comes with might and, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Verse 12 talks about how God has dwarfed the universe. One of the things that amazes me most about science and discovery is how vast this universe is. And then how small I feel uh, in comparison. And, and they talk about the distance from stars and all these galaxies and the number of galaxies. And it, and it just becomes overwhelming. And God dwarfs the universe. His understanding in verse 13 and 14 is beyond comparison. Uh, the, power, the power of all the nations of the earth do not compare to the power that God possesses. One of the things that I like to do is watch... Like videos on like the latest fighter jets and military technology, I do that from time to time. and just to see, you know, what the technology and just be impressed by it, and all of the power, all of the ability of all of the nations do not compare uh, at all to uh, the ability of God, the power of God. Verse eighteen, that God is is greater than any idol that can be crafted. Um, in verse 22 through 24, it talks about our smallness before God is emphasized. And it talks about the rulers and the princes of the earth being very small and nothing and insignificant before God. He is greater than any power as a nation or an individual that, we can, that, that, that has ever existed. In verse 26, God, in following, He has no comparison. He knows the name and the number of the stars. Have you ever, on a starry night, just been impressed, again, by the vastness of space and all of the stars that exist in the heavens? And and you you would not even start to count them because it is overwhelming. God knows their name. God knows their number. And it is amazing. And in verse 28, He is the everlasting God and He is the Creator. Any, Any thoughts or any comments about God's uh, God, the qualification of God, God's power, His might, His majesty. In chapter forty, if you don't mind, t- turn it over to chapter forty, Isaiah chapter forty, because chapter forty also doesn't just talk about God's um, God's uh, qualifications of, of you know who He is as it relates to Him being our authority. It also talks about his character. What are some of those things that you would call out from chapter 40 of Isaiah that speak to God's character as well?
2: In verse 11, like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arms he will gather his lambs, carry them in his bosom. So God is the caring shepherd who holds up his sheep. The point is not only God's unlimited power and knowledge and his unlimited love, all of them live together. Who else? Right. Away?
0: Absolutely. What else do we see in chapter forty? So, Verse 14, he doesn't need to
1: consult with anyone. He, uh, he contains all wisdom. Uh, I, and especially also kind of the path who taught him the path of justice. I think that goes to some of the earlier points
0: about understanding why we would submit to authority. And his, if he is just. Uh, right. Just, his righteousness. Anything else? The other things in 40? Mike in the back.
1: Things, but the word of our God stands forever it's very comforting
0: to know that we do not sort of flip it. God that will change will or his emotions, willingly, you know, he is consistent absolutely who else or what else do we put in that top authority spot that doesn't change right so if I put myself in that man I change day to day maybe moment to moment right Or our goals, or our ambition, or our fears, or our relationships, or whatever we put in that. Only God, only his word doesn't change. Anything else do you see in, in verse 40, or chapter 40? Towards the end of the chapter, it talks about how God is the creator. He doesn't faint or grow weary, but he gives power to the faint, so we who are beset by problems, by issues, by stresses, God comes to the aid for us, and He is bigger than any of our our stresses, any of our problems. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Like He's going to, He's going to help. He's going to sustain. As Tommy said, He's going to carry. Do you remember in Second Samuel, the First uh, Samuel eighth chapter, when the people are asking for a king? What did God say that they would get with that king? John. Well,
2: he said here, the king's going to take.
4: He's going to take and take and take and take and take some more.
0: Yep, he is. That he's going to take sons. He's going to take daughters. He's going to take land. He's going to take vineyards. He's going to take. Um, your money, he's going he's to take and take and take and take. What do we see God doing here in chapter 40? God, God brings reward. He brings recompense with him. God is a God who gives. He gives help. He takes care of his people. So when we think about the qualifications and the character of God um, as the authority in our life, it should well up some certain feelings from us you think about if, let's just think about if God was only strong and powerful, and he didn't use that strong and power, that that might, on the behalf, he wasn't righteous. Let's put it that way. So if he's only powerful, what we see, what I see in my life, is the one who's, who's powerful, but the one who's maybe not righteous, I do what I'm obligated to do kind of the bare minimum, perhaps. But when we see God coupling this, this righteous character, this integrity, this, the, the, the wisdom, the love, the compassion, what it does is it motivates us not only to do what he says, but it motivates us to do it in a way that is deep in, in love and devotion. And so when we think about studying God's word, And submitting it to his rule. It's not us just following rules. It's about us pleasing the king. It's about us pleasing the creator. Because in all of his might. In all of his understanding. In all of his ability. He brings all that to bear for our benefit. Any final thoughts as we think about God's qualifications and God's character? What would you say about Jesus from a qualifications and a character standpoint? Ditto. Ditto, right? It's hard to separate him, right? Um, Micah?
1: We see him submitting to the Father. Mm-hmm. So we see him acting out perfect submission. But we
0: also see him speaking with perfect authority. Mm-hmm. Right. And we're going to touch on some passages here in a minute that call that out. Um, it, it, it's abundant, right? There's, it's abundant. The, it's hard to go a page in the Bible and not see God's, God or Jesus' authority or their qualifications, like why they deserve our devotion, but also their character, um, who they are, come through the pages. A couple of things we can think about is that all throughout scripture, God is promising. He's anticipating a king. We can look at passages like Psalm 2. Psalm 2. Uh, It it talks about, in verse 6, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Um, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. We're going to see that echoed uh, throughout the New Testament. Psalm 110 talks about about God sending his king. Daniel 7, in verse 14, talks about God sending his king. Matthew 2, all throughout Jesus' life, uh, beginning in verse 1 and 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men came from the east, From the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born a king of the Jews? For we, star- we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. In Matthew 21. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden." The disciples went and did as Jesus uh, directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks and he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the ground and others cut branches from the trees and spread them uh, on the road. Scriptures are talking of Jesus being a king, anticipating Jesus being a king. He's acting like a king in in, in many of the scriptures. Thinking about the authority that God has given to Jesus in Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This this idea that Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth... I think it can be really difficult for us to get our, our minds around. And then also Jesus as king. You know, in some parts of the world, uh, the, the idea of having a king is very familiar. For us, obviously not so much, right? And so I do wonder if that inhibits our ability to fully appreciate Jesus and God as king in our lives. Uh, because historically, we've been kind of resistant to having someone who will, who will call all the shots like that. In Mark 1, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In in Acts, again, just after Jesus' ascension, this this idea, this theme of of Jesus as king of his kingdom citizen continues. In Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, Peter says, This Jesus God raised up, and all of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he, he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all of the house of Israel know therefore, therefore know for certain that God has made both him, him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And it is interesting, again, not on the slide, but we know the reaction that these people had, understanding that they had killed not only the Savior, but the one that God had put on his throne and the, the, the fear and the panic that that induced in them. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue shall uh, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Again, overwhelmed by the authority that God has put on Jesus. And we need to be thinking about our lives. And do we reflect that authority that has been given to Jesus on, in, in our lives. In Colossians 1, 13 and 14, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. You, so you think about authority here, that we were under the authority of Satan, this domain of darkness, this one who had some power but did not have righteousness. And we think about what type of experience that would be, right? And we shudder to think about that. And we're so grateful that we have been brought into the one who has ultimate authority, but also has righteousness and love and compassion and mercy to go along with it. And then then one other thing, and then I'll, I'll stop for a second to see if there's any comments on this, but we talked a little bit about Ephesians 1 through 3 last time. And just real quickly, we see the character of God and the character and the authority of Jesus come out in abundance. When we read Ephesians 1 through 3, in that first, that first chapter, we see all that God has done for us, how he has adopted us, how he has saved us, has redeemed us, like it's just overflowing with the blessings that we have in, in God. We see that the power of God that was demonstrated in Jesus, this resurrection power, and with that, it talks about the, the authority that Jesus has. In Ephesians chapter 2, in Ephesians chapter 1, excuse me, it says that he raised him from the dead, God raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And again, similar to what we've already read, far above all rule and authority and power, in dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ has all authority. We think about um, historically and currently powerful people, powerful names that carry a lot of weight, that carry a lot of respect. And Paul says Jesus' name, now and for all times, is above every name. All authority uh, is under is underneath his feet. We see the kindness of God that we were dead now that we are alive, so we start to see the again that we were reminded of the character of God here. We were hostile, now we're at peace. We were strangers, now we're citizens, not only citizens, we're members of the household of God, we're the temple of God. In chapter three, like so kind of picking up on this idea that we were apart, we were excluded, we were separate. We were ignorant. But now we know the mystery of Christ. We, these unsearchable riches of Christ. We know them. Then We know the love that surpasses knowledge. And we have in us the power. That is able to do far more abundantly. Than all that we can ask or think. Like we can think. I can imagine a lot. I can ask for a lot. I can think of a lot. Far more than I can ever think. We have this power in the Holy Spirit. That is at work within our lives. Let me pause here. And see if there is any. Any comments? Or any other passages uh, or thoughts that we could go to just to think and appreciate both the qualification and the character of God and Jesus? Katrina? As if
1: there was any question of whether God knew what we need or how hard this life is for us or knows it personally Um, and I it's easy for me to think that he already knew but he wanted us to make sure that he knew and so he came here and he lived like us and so that just gives him even more to foster
0: care yeah absolutely how he can sympathize with us he knows he knows our struggle Um, other thoughts Tommy my bearings, sorry. So, thinking about God, thinking about Jesus, thinking about the authority, the, the character they have, how fortunate we are to be in relationship and to be serving such a kind of benevolent king, you know, we need to be thinking about how does this impact us, right? How does this impact our study? How does it shape Um, our approach to God's word. Isaiah 56 verse 7 says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. This is an exclamation of an exaltation that God is in control. God is reigning. And we just need to be asking the question then again, is God reigning in our life? And as we open up his word, is he the one whom we are trying to please? I want us to think a little bit about scripture as well, about the authority of scripture. Um, And um, I do want us to turn to, I don't think I have this one down here. No, Um, 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 6 again we see the Holy Spirit as the revealer of God's word. And I love how we see the harmony between God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We see God as creator. Uh, We see God's power in what he has created and in who he is. We saw that in Isaiah 40. We see really the ultimate expression of God's character though in Jesus, right? In sending Jesus and exalting Jesus, um, the authority that He gave Jesus to act on our behalf, right? And we see then as individuals who only want to please God, who only want to please the King. Uh, we see the Holy Spirit then as telling us these are the things that we need to do. This is how this is how we revealed revealed God in Scripture, so that we can please the King. We're not going to read that whole uh, section, but in 1 Corinthians 1, chapter, first chapter, verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Uh, And then on down at verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ." So the only way we can know the mind of God is to understand what has been revealed by the Holy Spirit. In, first, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, again, a passage that's all familiar to, all familiar to us all is the, the sufficiency of Scripture. And so when we think about wrestling with... Uh, uh, with, with and I'm sorry, when we think about God as reigning in our life, Jesus as King... We're leveraging what the Holy Spirit has revealed to us in God's, uh, of God's will in his scripture so that we can be pleasing to him. And Jesus is our example. Like if, if we wonder how the seriousness of which we should either take scripture or we should take the rule and authority of God, Jesus is the perfect example for us. There are many more examples than what I have on this, on this slide that talk about how Jesus viewed God and how Jesus viewed scripture. Matthew 4, when Jesus is tempted four times, he talks about how it is written. When he was challenged by Satan, when Satan tries to undermine the the qualification of the goodness of God, Jesus went to scripture. In chapter 4, later on, verse 12 through 17, Jesus emphasizes the fulfillment of the New Testament. That's what he was all about. How did Jesus view the law in Hebrews 4? Well, he he kept it perfectly. You think about what you have kept perfectly. Or what you have endeavored to keep perfectly. Only that which is of probably utmost importance to you. Jesus kept it perfectly in 2 Corinthians 5. It talks about how Jesus knew no sin. Um, In Philippians 2, 5 through 10. Jesus did not uh, uh, seek equality with God. Jesus humbled himself. He submitted to the will of the Father. In John 4, verse 34, my, my food is to do the will, is to do the will of him who sent me, when he's talking with the woman at the well and his disciples. in John 5 30, I can do nothing on my own, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. You would think that God in the flesh would take perhaps take some some freedoms some own initiative. But Jesus says, uh, I'm not doing my own will. I'm doing the will of him who sent me. Later on in John, he says, I can do, I, I always do the things that are pleasing to God. And John 17, we, I know we looked at it for like 30 seconds last week, but again, it talks about the authority that Jesus has received from God. That his submission, his accomplishment of the will of the Father, that he had been given the word, and that's the word that he passed on to his disciples. In Matthew 6.10, talk, Jesus talks about doing the will of the Father. And as um, and in Matthew 26, again, in the garden, as Tommy mentioned earlier this morning, three times your will be done. In the face of uh, torment and anguish and sorrow that we can't even imagine, three times Jesus reiterates to the Lord that your will be done. And so when we are maybe wrestling with or contemplating or evaluating our own attitude towards scripture is really great uh, to look at Jesus as an example. When we think about the seriousness of which we should take it and the rule that scripture that God and Jesus have within our lives, Jesus is our example. And so, maybe this will be a thought question if you have, or, but in, you know, in times of thinking about characterizing Jesus' attitude towards God, because I think I just belabored that for just a second. But, you know, you know when we're, we're having class, and, and um, you know, I don't want to overwhelm with Scripture, and I think, but I do want to impress, right, that there's so many Scriptures out here about Jesus and his humility and his submission. And God and his authority, and, and the authority of God, or of Jesus, and their character, it, it is overwhelming. And so, you know, I, I, hope, I hope it's not frustrating to you. I hope it impresses to all of us um, the, a theme of Scripture that, that we can apply. Let me pause here and see if there's any questions or comments. Brad? The, verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is to be judged by no one. Is that what you're referencing? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think what... Yeah, so, the, I think in context, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually uh, dis- discerned. And so, I think that he's talking about um the, the mind of the, the will of the Father, the mind of Christ, that we are judging things in, in the context of, of that. We are not looking at things from a natural perspective. Um, otherwise they would be looked at as folly. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm answering that very well. Any thoughts on that from anyone in the class?
1: I do think there's a contrast mm-hmm. between the two what a blessing that
0: we have the mind of Christ. Right. And so we're going to be looking at the same things from a diametrically opposite position, though, or um, resulting in very different attitudes and behaviors. Whether we're looking at it from a worldly perspective, where it's it's foolishness. Um, we have the mind of Christ, so we're looking at things from a spiritual perspective, um, and it's, it's taking us a different, a different direction, a direction that is, is spiritual, a direction that is godly. Um, that's what the Spirit is doing as he reveals God uh, to us. I don't know if that's any better than I said the first time. Is that helpful, Brad? Yeah. So, when we think about, we characterize Jesus' attitude towards God in the scripture. He takes it very seriously. Um, he is seeking to do the will of the Father. He is adhering to scripture. And that's, that's the focus of his life. That's the emphasis of his life. That what, that's what his life is all about. I want us to think about the apostles and the disciples as well. They are our example as well. Paul talks several times that we need to be imitating his behavior and his attitude. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 9, we are to imitate him. In 1 Corinthians 4, we are to be imitators. In 1 Corinthians 11, be imitators of him as he is of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 11, it also talks about these traditions that he has delivered to them, that they need to remember those things as well. Um, in Philippians 4, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, those are the things that we need to do. So I, I bring this up to say that not only is it the life of Christ that we need to be looking at, and you know his adherence to Old Testament passages and the respect and the honor he gave it, we give the gospels and the life of Christ um, honor, and we try to apply that in those epistles that um, that come after. Um, those carry weight that we need to be looking at very seriously, and looking how do we apply those things that have been revealed as well. In First Second Thessalonians two, so then brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. In First Timothy one three. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths, to endless genealogies which promote speculations, rather than the stewardship which is from God, that is by faith. And then in 1 Timothy 4, verse 15 Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given to you by prophecy. Uh, when the council of elders laid their hands on you, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that you may, that all may see your progress. Keep, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearer. Again, what we see uh, throughout the, the apostles' writing and the example of his, spirit, of his, of his um, disciples is this emphasis... On following these things, adhering to these things that have been passed down that we can read about um, in the New Testament. And so as we think about this authority, we think about Scripture, we've thought about how, um, how God, how, excuse me, how Jesus, how His disciples, what their attitude was towards Scripture, how do we uh, view Scripture? How ambitious or how, how much do we endeavor to let God's word actually be a lamp to our feet, to guide us, to direct us, to shape us and to mold us? Um, and I think one of the reason, one of the ways that we can gauge that is the degree to which we invest ourselves in reading it and wrestling with it, and understanding it and talking about it and sharing it. So some thought questions. Before we get to our thought questions, we've thought about God as our king, or God as creator, Jesus is our king, and there's several passages that we talk about that talk to the heart that we are to have when we think about um, Jesus as king, that in 2 Corinthians 5, that it is, it is our aim to please him. That's all we're trying to do, is to be pleasing to him. In 2 Timothy 2, in verse 4, it talks about us being soldiers of Christ. I like this analogy because it's, you know, soldiers have, they're, they're single-minded. They have one purpose, right? To, to serve the, the people who, the, who are in charge of them, their commanders. Our single purpose, our aim is to please Him. In Colossians 1, 9 and 10, you know, we want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. We are completely pleasing to God is what we are trying to be. And in Colossians 3, 23 and 24, we do our work heartily as yes, for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So these thought question is, so we've thought about, okay, how are we viewing authority? Maybe the question is, is how do we view submission? How do like that feels a little bit different than yes, God's my authority than it does, am I submitting to the king? Am I really trying to please the king? And going back to the Timothy passage, how are we at knowing and practicing and persisting? How are we about uh, letting Christ live in us, putting to death the old man and letting Christ dwell in our hearts? And is it really, truly our ambition in all things to serve and to please God? And as we get into God's scripture... That needs to be at the, the heart of who we are when we open it up. Let me pause here to see if, any, see if there's any comments. So, I want us to go through a thought exercise when we think about understanding God's word. Um, and this kind of goes back to, to Bob's comment earlier. Um, if I'm starting a job... And it's, you know, what I want to do is I want to, I want to be pleasing to my boss. I want them to think I'm doing a good job or to, to know I'm doing a good job and be pleased with my performance as an employee. And so as a new person, how am I going to know what I need to do in order to be pleasing to God? Or to my, my boss, excuse me. I switched examples there. Any thoughts? John?
2: Well, I might look at the other people working around me and assume, I might assume that uh, if they are pleasing to my boss, that if I act like they do, right. I think will be pleasing to my boss.
0: Absolutely. So going in, I'm just going to kind of get the lay of the land, see what types of behaviors are, are good or bad, and I'm going to do those things. Yes. Yeah, so uh, the company says that this is uh, uh, your boss, company, in terms of documentation process, whatever, this is the way you do something. So they tell you this is how you do it. So if I do it this way, then I should be meeting those expectations. So absolutely, what they tell me to do, what I see others doing, what's another way? Caitlin. Mm-hmm. Right, so if I could say that a different way, so we 've got what what i 'm kind of told to do what i um, what I see happening, but then there you know when I think about my responsibilities, the, I take it within myself under the, the responsibility I have or the accountabilities I have to, to do things in ways that are effective um, and there are some conclusions that I might draw from. From how uh, how things work there, or I might, maybe I'm thinking outside the box, um, taking initiative to to do things to be successful, um, and I think those are all those are all good things. And I think we can simplify that in terms of I'm going to do what I'm told. I'm going to see what others are doing, and then there's this area of. Um, I know what's important to my boss, also not be, based on what he says or what he does, but maybe how he communicates. Like, I find out very quickly what, what might irritate him, like um, nonverbals. My my current boss, I, I really like him a lot. He's really good at nonverbals, so we're on camera all the time. So he'll make facial expressions, and I don't think he realizes he's doing it. And it's like, okay, we can pick up on we can pick up on that. So I, I found out very quickly, uh, a minute late to a meeting. Very displeasing, and he didn't have to say a word. I just saw his reaction when someone joined a minute late, right? When we think about communication in general, that's really how it, it happens. This isn't, this isn't a Bible example. It's just communication. We, when we want to communicate something to someone, we either tell them what to do, we either show them, or we imply it. So that they, they draw a conclusion that we want them to, to get. I do this with my kids. You know, it's one thing for me to say, hey, g- hey, get your coat. It's another thing to say, hey, get your coat. You know, they know how they need to react, not because I said to be fast the second time, but there's a conclusion that they drew on that. Chris? Oh, Josh?
1: Mm-hmm. everybody knows it's a bad idea
0: right um, not mixing water electricity. Like yep. but you know, something you learn on the job because you already know it. yep yeah so Brett and maybe uh
3: Mm-hmm. So Congress passes a law and we have to
1: follow it right. uh, to the T. And it's
3: written, you know, we have to reference uh, my authority for doing this, paragraph this and subsection to this, um, you know, line this. And we have to cite what we're doing in order to uh, have authority for spending the, the government's money or the public's money in a certain uh, manner. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a good of a good comparison there to go, okay. Um, ask the question when we're trying to understand God's word, um, is it a government regulation?
0: Is it the heart and spirit of right. the Creator? Um,
1: and, and then because
3: if it's, depending on which one of those it is, you, you come, you might come to a little bit different
0: conclusion. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if how good I segued into this um, earlier, but when we think about, all right, God, is, you know, God is our Creator. Jesus is King. He's revealed Himself through His Word. It's our aim to be pleasing to Him. How do we be? How are we pleasing to Him? Well, the Spirit has revealed uh, His will. We have the mind of Christ uh, before us. How do we understand and apply this? And this kind of gets back to what Tony said at the beginning. We start to get into this how do we rightly divide the word of truth? And so one of the things that we're going to be thinking about is this idea of, um, of God telling us things, God showing us some things, and then also some conclusions that we can draw from God's scripture. Um, now we've got, we've got about a, you know, a couple minutes left. Let me see what that we've got here. So here's what I would like us to do as we wrap up. So we're not going to get through all of this, Um, but I want us to think about Acts, the 10th chapter, Cornelius' conversion. So when we come back the next time, read Acts 10 and see the activity of, of Cornelius, see the activity of Peter, and this revelation to Peter that Gentiles are now accepted, like one of the... One of the most amazing revelations in all of the New Testament is Acts 10 how did God what methods of communication did God use for us or for Peter to know that Cornelius uh, should be baptized right so that's that'll be some homework for next time. So next time what we're going to do, Lord willing, is we'll finish up this idea of understanding God's Word through God showing us telling us and God implying things that we should be drawing some conclusions from. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about um, like a, a specific command versus a general command. And just to tease that out just a little bit, a general command would maybe be saying, Cole, go into Kroger and get some bread. And then he has the ability to get whatever, whatever bread he wants, uh, as long as it's bread. Now, if he gets cereal, he's gone beyond that general command. And he's violated my will and he would incur my wrath. No. But but we, we get we get that idea. But then a specific command would be, Cole, I need to go get gluten-free bread for your mother. Now he better come back with some gluten-free bread. So when we talk about, when we look at the commands of God, we talk about general versus specific. Specific commands start to be exclusionary, it excludes other things. General commands give us some um, opportunity to um, use best judgment. And just as a quick example that we can noodle on is we come together on the first day of, of every week and we go through several passages to show that we understand that that's the pattern that uh, you know that the, the early church had. But there's no command about when we meet, the timing of it, or the format of our services. So those are some of the things that we're going to start to talk about um, next um, how, how we understand God's word, how we apply these general versus specific commands. Then we're going to get into, um, and I know we're anxious to get into the, the, the past specific passages about finance, but we want to get into the purpose of the church versus the individual, because that's going to in, perhaps inform our ability to, um, or how we should uh, spend money and finances, things like that. So I really appreciate everyone's attention um, I know this was a lot. I know I talked a lot, um, and um, uh, hopefully, it was it was clear and it was helpful as we study God's word. Brad Pettis, would you lead us in a prayer as we close? If I could get two helpers to move these tables back to where they belong, that would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. Can you don't Can you guys lift lift these? Sure. Hold, hold on, hold on. Listen, oh. Let me get my stuff up here real quick.
1: Hey, can I please help? Do you mind put,
0: your boys. putting that over there?
1: Can I please help? Um,